0: Hallelujah. Amen. Wow, what a sweet presence of the Lord in this place. Thank you so much, Palile. We have such incredible gifts Amen. in this house. Amen. And if you stay longer with us and journey longer with us, we'll find a way to get it out. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The Bible says provoking one another to good works. Amen. Amen. Well, family, good morning. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus. We've had such a a powerful, impactful weekend thus far. We've had my favorite preachers over this weekend minister to us. How blessed were you this weekend? When I had um, the privilege of ministering at Shapers Church for their conference, Um, I said something to Pastor Israel, and I'm going to say to you this morning. Um, It's the parable of the ant and the elephant. Uh, You know, the ant was sitting on top of the elephant, and they crossed over a bridge, and the bridge shook, and the ant said to the elephant, look how we shook the bridge. (laughs) I'm that old ant this morning. (laughs) Amen, amen. Um, Someone asked me um, yesterday, I think it was Pastor Neville, uh, why unshakable kingdom? Why the thing? And I said, because God is shaking everything. And everything's been shaken. Literally every system of this world, the economies of this world, um, the philosophies of this world, everything that typically sustains and supports us. And we saw this during COVID, how Everything was shaken, but there's one kingdom that is unshaken. And that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we are children of that kingdom. So though the world fall apart around us, we remain unshaken. Amen. Uh, Team, you did an incredible um, job this weekend. Um, conference, I always uh, yeah, pray extra hard during conference <laughs> uh, because uh, the fatigue settles in and the fruit of the spirit needs to really come to maturity and we need to be able to pick from that fruit and the devil works over time during conference for some reason usually starts with the technicalities, he jumps into the PA system <laughs> and so Friday night we had a, a difficult time with the sound, but the, the guy's done an exceptional job, thank you so much Keenan and uh, Chad and Grant in his absence um, and Clinton, all the all the sound guys, you've done an amazing job, I never want you to feel unappreciated, yeah. uh, I never want you to, to get burned out, uh, so I gave them and reminded them of the assignments, uh, grow the team, please. Grow the team, if you're interested in joining the sound ministry, uh, that's stressful ministry. They need all the hands they can get. Amen. Um, One thing I was reminded of uh, this weekend uh, is that God's work is teamwork. Uh, There was a time where for some reason we thought as believers and as a church globally that God uses special people, but nobody functions in the kingdom of God as an island in isolation. God always works through the dynamic of teamwork. There's just more leverage when you have a team. And when God called us into the ministry, the assignment was help assemble and mobilize the team, not build the church, that's his job. The job was for me to help co-labor and build the team. Because God's work is teamwork, amen. amen. Uh, I am aware that you may be a little fatigued this morning. Some of you are up till midnight celebrating. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say like Adele sung in one of her songs. I'm gonna go easy on you, baby. <laughs> so, um, I'm I'm not gonna get into my Bible topic or case study. Uh, if, if you really want, we can, uh, but I'm going to get into our message this morning uh, via the root of a prologue, by the root of a prologue, um, and um, I'm going to try and be as brief as I can this morning, and I'm also hoping, truth be told, uh, that I get an afternoon nap. Amen. 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 I'm trusting the Lord for an afternoon nap, so in the next... Uh, 30 minutes, uh, Candace, if you could also help signal me uh, by hopping onto the keyboard. I'll appreciate that so much. And the, the church at Rebirth will also appreciate you so much. Um, so after the, message, after the message, we will be taking up communion and reflecting on um, that precious uh, sacrifice that... Um, that uh, Christ paid for us, Um, and we will be examining our hearts and uh, just reflecting on all that he's he's done. Are you still with me family? So I'm going to get into the prologue, um, but I'm not going to depart from the book of Galatians. We are still in the book of Galatians. Uh, As you know, Uh, The author of the book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul. He stamps his apostleship from the get-go. Because sometimes, now and again, you have to remind uh, people, unfortunately, that God called you. And God gave you uh, authority in certain matters. And um, how the book is structured is uh, in three parts. From chapter 1 to chapter 2. Paul defends his apostleship because the Judaizers uh, Judaizers and false teachers that had crept into the church perverting the gospel message attempted to discredit the message by discrediting and undermining the messenger. Because in the kingdom of God, like in Sparta, the messenger is accountable for the message. Amen
1: the message
0: and the messenger must be inseparable not only does he defend the gospel uh, his apostleship between chapters 1 and 2 but between chapters 3 and 4 he strenuously defends the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is the sum total of his defense and what is meant by defense is not defending the scriptures in a sense of of deductively defending the gospel like it needs defending. A lion needs no defense. He's defending the gospel inductively. In other words, he's ready to give an account for the hope Amen. that lies within him. Amen. And between chapters 4, uh, 5, and 6, we have Paul defending the Christian life and that we are supposed to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The main purpose behind the book? Uh, An idea behind the book is that is that Judaizers and false teachers have crept into the church. The church is now flirting with a compromised, counterfeit gospel message and Paul is counteracting and intercepting uh, this perversion and he's offering a course correction to the church. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh pastor clint done a good few flights if you don't know he's been flying planes for a lot of his life and he will tell you the importance of a course correction when you are set on your destination just a little off on your trajectory and you could end up in another country and that's how precious and sensitive and strictly defined the gospel message is so the big idea behind the book of galatians is that the gospel is enough you cannot improve it you cannot take away from it there's no way you can improve the message In fact, paul says even if an angel Enters into this building and presents to you another more fabulously sounding story of the gospel. Yes. Paul uses the highest Greek word he could find in his toolkits and in the Greek language, and he says, Let that angel be anathema, yes. let that angel be cursed and damned. Yes. The highest curse that God can issue if he tempers with the gospel yeah. message. The gospel is enough because Jesus is enough. Because the grace of God is sufficient. Amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 and we'll be reading from verses 15 to verses 29. Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 to 29, when you're there, please give me an amen. 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 <coughs> Paul writing from verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. In other words, he's going to use a natural human illustration. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many. But he said to Abraham as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant. That was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect for if the inheritance is of the law it is no longer a promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life. Truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures, or the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. Kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ immersed into christ have put on christ there's neither jew nor greek there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you all are one in christ jesus and if you are christ then you are abram's seed and heirs according to the promise amen There's nothing better that I can say this morning than that which we've read. As a father, I ask that you will anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to our hearts this morning. Anoint this preacher, this jar of clay, to speak as your mouthpiece this morning. I pray that faith will fill up in our hearts because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Your word is truth and your word sanctifies us and we ask you, Lord, to give us faith to cling on to your word, to cling on to your promises, to see your glory in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we'll walk away not as that man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, but as that man who will stay in the perfect law of liberty and walk away not just a hearer of the word, but a Doer uh, also in jesus mighty name and everybody says amen. Amen. amen amen there are basically three lessons we learned from chapter three we learn how to perceive that salvation is by faith alone and not by the works of the law yes. and not by the works of the flesh yes. we understand from galatians 3 why the law was given, what purpose it served, and how long it was meant to last. We also learn to appreciate the purpose for being baptized into Christ. And this is not a reference to water baptism but to the spiritual baptism of being placed into Christ and we learn how it relates to us becoming the sons of God. And I'm speaking to you ladies too, because you included uh, when the scriptures refer to sons of God. We also learn that the purpose of the letter in a nutshell, if we reduce everything Paul is saying to the church, uh, we learn that the gospel is a specific message. The gospel is a narrowly a narrowly defined message and there is only one message Amen. and it's important that we get the message right. Last week I mentioned that it's not how far and wide the news spreads, it's not how fast the news can spread, Yay. but it's how accurate the news Yay. that is proclaimed so it's important that we have an accurate understanding of the gospel i don't care if your ministry is accompanied with signs wonders and miracles i don't care if you have the state of the art facilities i don't care if you are wearing a gucci suit and you know that eagle belts that these preachers wear and their shining blinking shoes and okay what entourage or influence you have in the powers of government i want to know are you accurately preaching and proclaiming the gospel of jesus christ john performed no miracle john the baptist performed no miracle but jesus said there has never been a man has come out of a a woman's womb that is as great as john the baptist yet he performed no miracles like elijah no miracles like moses but what john did was proclaim and prepare the way of the lord he pointed to jesus he pointed to jesus he said he must increase and i must decrease that's all you do your entire life lift up the name of jesus you've accomplished your purpose and so the gospel is all about jesus who he is what he has done and why it matters it's the only message that saves it's the only message that redeems it's the only message that delivers it's the only message that sets us free from the greatest tyranny that has ever invaded the earth. That's why Paul stated in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jews, and then the Greeks. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, "The just shall live by faith." You are saved by faith in Christ, and you love by faith in Christ. You don't outgrow faith, you don't outgrow the gospel message. The gospel not only saves and justifies, the gospel sanctifies. And the gospel will grow you. The idea that the gospel just gets you into the kingdom and you have to apply biblical principles to your life is incorrect. The gospel gets you into the kingdom of God and you have to apply the gospel every day to your life. An incorrect understanding of the gospel can have infinite implications. Life and death can weigh in the balance. And so it's important that we keep the gospel free from perversion because the slightest of perversions can cause the bitterest of fruit what is the gospel the gospel is how god the father demonstrates his love and displays his power to save the souls of men who were condemned to his wrath he does this through his son jesus christ through his birth through his life through his burial his death his burial his resurrection and his ascension Carson stated that there are a few elements to understanding the gospel first you need to understand that he is our sovereign creator and the creature depends on the Creator secondly we need to understand that when God created Adam Adam sinned and disobeyed God and his disobedience and his sin was imputed to us because adam was a representative person he was the federal head of humanity so not only is the guilt of adam's sin imputed to us but the depravity and corruption of his nature was transmitted to us as poison is carried from a fountain to a system Adam was the head of mankind. And being guilty, we are guilty. As the children of a traitor, we have our blood stained. All of us. There's not one righteous. All our sinners all fall short of the glory of God. The idea that you are born a good person is a lie from the pit of hell. When you understand the gospel, you understand that the gospel first comes to tell you that you are not okay and that you need redemption. You need saving. We were on a collision course with the justice and wrath of God. The idea that we are saved from hell is not an accurate understanding. We were saved from God. That's why Jesus was smitten by God, not the devil. It wasn't the devil that took him to the cross. It was God that led him to the cross. And we are saved from God by God. Because nobody else can save you from God but God. Scripture says if God is for us, who can be against us? But if God is against you, who on earth can we call? Who on earth can we call? Gospel also states that Christ became the answer for the colossal problem of sin that Adam had created. And so through the birth and substitutionary death of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, we now have been ransomed and redeemed and the justice of god has been appeased the only solution to the problem was the cross the only escape of the rod to come was the cross and now god has required doesn't matter whether you were born into another religion Doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, your social standing in society, God has required that all men repent. All men repent and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 12, For as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right and power to become children of God. The only appropriate response to the gospel is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. What we need to understand about faith is that faith is a saving grace and a saving response. I'm not talking about the faith where you are trusting God for a door to open, for, for a miracle to happen. I'm not talking about a faith that's a mental ascent or a faith that believes in all the tenets of our faith. Because the Bible says, if you say you have faith and believe there's a God, so what? Devils believe there's a God. Demons believe there's a God. And they tremble. They they know the facts. They know the tenets of our faith. And they have an emotional response. But they cannot respond in obedience. Does your faith produce the fruit of sanctification? Because a faith that justifies, a faith that is a saving response and saving act, bears the fruit of repentance. And sanctification becomes the evidence of justification. It's important that we understand that the gospel is an indicative before it is an imperative. An indicative explains what is true, it states the facts, it states states the reality of the matter and an, an imperative states what commanded, what we should obey. Indicatives are about what God has done. Imperatives are about what we need to do. So the gospel before it is an instruction, it is an historical account. The gospel first and foremost, is about what God has done to save a dying desperate disease sick dead humanity yeah. so the greatest gift we have of the gospel is grace Amen. and we heard that so strongly this weekend Amen. we all need grace yeah. the day you ask god to be fair is the day you're in trouble Yesterday we are in I, I never asked God to be just in with me. Uh, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. Every day I'm weak, I'm frail, I stumble. You know, the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. You know, uh, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death? I need you, I need your grace, I need your wind in myself. Without you, I can do nothing. What is grace? Grace is his unmerited favor, unmerited. It means you're not entitled to it. it. Means there's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. We should never walk around like we're entitled to his blessings. We should never walk around like we have a right to mercy. And that's the first understanding of the gospel that we need to fix in the church. Okay, we are not entitled or deserving. All have, sinned, all have gone astray like, like sheep without a shepherd and once we have that understanding of grace and, and of God's, God's goodness we appreciate him more we, we appreciate what he does because we know we didn't deserve it Amen. and that's what the, what the gift of grace is sure. Amen. unmerited favor from God and when he gives us His grace, He justifies us. Westminster's larger catechism states that justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardons us as sinners, forgives us of our sins, and accepts us as righteous in His sight only because of the righteousness which he imputes from Christ. Okay. And that is received by faith alone. Okay. Westminster's larger catechism also states that he sanctifies us. In other words, as you working out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's working in you both to do and to will according to his good purpose. And it's funny how we, we never quote the second part of that verse. We say, no, brother, you are got to work out your salvation. No, 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 He gives us the strength. Yes. We only work it out because he works it in. Yes. He gives us the strength. He gives us the grace. He gives us the power to hold on. And so Westminster's larger catechism states that sanctification is the work of God's free grace wherein the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and renews the whole man. He renews the man's mind, our values, our interests after the image of God. And we are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. So the Holy Ghost dwells inside of us and transforms us and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit and it empowers us to live righteously before God. And then he glorifies us. Glorification is a future event. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 35 to 58 describes that one day in a future state, God is going to resurrect our bodies from the dead and what's corruptible is going to be swallowed up in what's incorruptible and mortality will be swallowed up by immortality. And First John picks up the same theme where John says in chapter 3 of his epistle, Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know uh, him because because we did not know him, beloved. Now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, when we see him face to face in the twinkling of an eye, we'll become just as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is is pure. One day this body is going to be free from sin. One day this body is going to be free from disease. One day this body is going to be free from sangulite and excess death and visceral death and subcutaneous death. Amen. I'm looking forward to my six-pack. Man, Lord, I, maybe even an eight-pack. Who knows? Are my obliques showing. <coughs> Hallelujah. You're so with me, family. So we're going to look at our text in three parts very quickly. We're going to look at the promise of Abraham. We're going to look at the law of Moses against the promise of Abraham. And then we're going to look at the heirs according to the promise. The first thing I want us to understand is that the greatest theme we have in scripture is the kingdom of God. Yes. You cannot read your Bible and miss the theme of the kingdom of God. If you miss this theme and motif that is a thread from Genesis to Revelations, you've not read your Bible correctly. If if you think you know Jesus and study the life of Jesus and know nothing about the kingdom of God, then we don't know Jesus. Because Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. For some reason, there's been great difficulty for many of us and many preachers in trying to define and understand what is the kingdom of God. And that is perhaps because uh, scripture never gives us a textbook definition. It's also important to define the kingdom because I often hear people flippantly throw around the term and phrase. Uh, For example, you have people say, you know, I I, I don't need to come to church. I don't need to work in the church. I, I do kingdom work. And sometimes you hear people referring to to the kingdom simply because they are humanitarian and are involved in social justice, you know, and they're doing good out there in the world and in the marketplace, and they think, no, I'm busy with kingdom work. And so it's important that, that we come to a place where we understand what is the kingdom, how do we define the kingdom, because definitions provide us with with clarity. And definitions help ensure that we have a common understanding and definitions, in effect, are like compasses. They give us direction, they help navigate us to a place of understanding, and they prevent us from getting lost. That's why we have to define today what is faith. Because some of us are still thinking that faith is just a tool to get us a job yeah. or to get us some medical money. Yeah. And so we need to define terms. We need to come to terms with terms. What is the kingdom of God? Why is the subject of the kingdom of God so important? What is its place in scripture and what is its place in the teachings of Jesus? The kingdom of God is a theme that is referenced 126 times in the gospels alone 55 times in the gospel of matthew alone the primary meaning of the kingdom of god can be defined as god's reign and god's rule we find this in psalm 103 verse 19 where the bible and psalmist says the lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all There are five ideas and elements to understanding what the kingdom of God is. Firstly, number one, there is no kingdom without a king. The king embodies the kingdom. Where the king goes, the kingdom goes. Secondly, the king reigns and the king rules. There's no one above him, no law above him. He is a king that rules and reigns and he exercises his reign sovereignly. What we need to understand about his rule and his reign uh, is that the king of kings and the king in scripture, the king eternal, the king immortal, is one who rules in two ways. He rules through redemption and he rules through governance. He rules through redemption and he rules through governance. In other words, he is both savior and Lord the king also we need to understand is that the king and the kingdom is about how the king relates to a people
1: under the old
0: covenant old testament the king related to to Israel under the new covenant the king relates to the church fourthly it's important to understand that the king has a will the king has a will. And we find the king's will throughout the teachings of the gospel and in the embodiment of, of scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The teachings of Christ on the Beatitudes, on the Mount of Olive were all expressions of, of the king's will and his desires. The kingdom, lastly, has a realm. And is connected to a place. Under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, we saw that the land that he promised to Abraham was the realm that he, that he ruled over. The New Testament, we see that the territory that he promises to the church is heavenly ter- territories. And it gives us power and authority to conquer land and territories for him. It's important to understand in your idea of the kingdom that the kingdom is both now and not yet. In other words, today, right now, even in this this church space, this morning, the kingdom of God is in force. But the kingdom has not reached its culmination, has not reached its full expression. Just in the same sense as salvation is both now and to come Amen. we justified which is past tense we sanctify which is a process and we will be glorified which is an event to come so the gospel and the kingdom is also eschatological Amen. for some reason we place an emphasis on the kingdom of god that has been prone to shift their attention away from the theology of the cross unintentionally as preachers and teachers we've driven a wedge between the truth of the kingdom of God and the truth of the cross. Shreiner stated that these two realities of the kingdom of God and of the cross are forever joined. Separating them is an act of violence. The theme of the kingdom of God is not more important than the message of the cross. If the kingdom of God is the goal, In the cross is the means to the goal. The kingdom of God in the earth was inaugurated by the suffering of Jesus on the cross. That's where Jesus becomes the king of kings through the cross. One of the most interesting images we have in the Bible of a kingdom is the image of a tree. Trees in ancient times and in scripture are symbols of power, symbols of strength. And usually, the uh, trees show us a relationship with people. You'll see in Psalm 1, the righteous is described as a tree that's planted by the riverside. In Revelation 22, we see that the tree is meant to bring healing to the nations. Yeah. So, so a, the image of a tree implies also an idea of a place. A tree was placed in the garden. A tree in Revelations was placed in the center of the city. And what we need to understand about this image, powerful image of a tree is that between Genesis and Revelations, the image of a tree frames the scriptures. Genesis 2 8 to 9 says, The Lord planted a garden towards the east in Eden. There he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground. The Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for the food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Revelations 22 1 to 2 then he showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal coming out from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the streets on the either side of the river was the tree Of life bearing 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the image of the tree, the tree imagery, not only brackets the scriptures, but the image of a tree also tracks its way throughout the entire scriptures. We have in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, where King Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a tree that grows so strong and its top reaches to the heavens so that all the nations can see and in the dream, it says in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Daniel These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and its height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit was abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found its shade under the tree. And then in the extension of the dream, he says, I saw in the visions of my head while laying down in sleep that there was a watcher, a holy one, an angel that came down from heaven and he cried out aloud saying, chop down this tree and its branches, strip it of its leaves and scatter its fruit. And Daniel comes with the interpretation to this dream, this tree being a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, he said that the Lord will cut it down in Isaiah 11 the prophet Isaiah also speaks of a tree but a tree that is reduced to a stump and he says from the stump of Jesse will come a branch in Isaiah chapter 11 speaking of Christ that will come from the lineage of Jesse in the gospel Jesus regularly explains and taught that the kingdom of God is like a tree Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4. But there's one particular tree that alters the skyline of the Gospels. It's a tree shaped like a cross. This tree becomes the fulcrum of what God uses to summon all of heaven and earth. This tree will be the junction between life and death. This tree will become the joining point between life and death, blessing and cursing. This tree harmonized north and south, east and west. It pointed vertically so that Jesus could lift up his eyes to the Father. It pointed horizontally so that he could stretch out his arms wide all states in ephesians all that you may comprehend but all the church the length the depth the width, and the length of the love of god towards the church his love is so high and his love reaches so deep he'll pull you out of any but per- he'll pull you out of the muck and the mire He'll pull you from out of any rotten hole of sin and addiction and depression and darkness. He'll take you out from the pits of hell. He'll find you in the highways and in the byways. And he'll lift you up out of that mess. And he'll place you on the king's highway to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And his love is so wide. Bible says, for God so loved the world. He loves every nation, loves black and white, he loves Asian and Caucasian, people of every persuasion. He loves all. His love is not discriminative. And his love is so lengthy. Bible says it's from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, he loved you before your mommy and daddy ever thought of you. Before you even wrought in your mother's womb, he loved you. You were on his mind before Jesus went to the cross. And the book of Revelation states that this tree is for the healing of the nations. Only this tree can heal the nations this world is falling apart this world is not going to get any better i'm telling you everything is going to shake god's going to shake every system of this world but there'll be one kingdom that will stand and that is a kingdom that's not of this world hallelujah, hallelujah. my lord i didn't never get a chance to get into the text can we stand this morning oh. We have the emblems go around this morning. Does everybody have their emblems? This is a reminder and a symbol of the price that was paid for you. The price that was paid to ransom you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was displayed in such a fashion that it reminded us that there's nothing we could have done to save ourselves. He did it for us. The main distinction between law and grace is this. Under the law, we are given the command to obey. Under grace, he gives us the power to obey. He said in Jeremiah, the last days I will cause my spirit to dwell in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and judgments he gives us the power all he asks for is faith he asks for your belief before he asks for your behavior because it's your belief that alters your behavior all he you you don't get to outgrow faith in Jesus This will always be the message of the gospel. That it's by grace alone, by faith alone, and in Christ alone. And He shed His blood for us. His blood was efficacious. His blood has not lost its power. It's still able to save to the uttermost. His blood saves and redeems. And Lord Jesus, we come this morning to say thank you we will never forget the cross. We will always proclaim the cross. Where will we be without the cross? We serve you because